Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. So, three great callers tonight. The first caller wanted to know about sort of radical leftism and its sort of goals and its purpose and its methodology and its way of thinking. And I wanted to share some thoughts about it. And I think we had a really, really good conversation, got very deep and in-depth about it. The second caller, I don't know if you know, Japan is like depopulating itself enormously. And um, some of the reasons behind it and what's going on in Japan where they're selling more adult diapers than child diapers these days and population is kind of cratering. We talked about what might be going on. We did refer to the RK selection theory, which you should try and figure out. Uh, I've got a series of presentations called Gene Wars. Should check those out, but a uh, really good conversation about that. And the third caller was a woman who lost a friend in the recent Orlando shooting. And uh, we talked about that. And uh, it was a very emotional call. And um, we ended up on a lighter note, but uh, it was a difficult call for her to make. And uh, I think it's worth listening to, though, for, for a wide variety of reasons. So I hope that you will. And uh, not to. Forget to remind you, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux. You can share the podcast at fdrpodcast.com. And last but not least, don't forget to use our affiliate link on Amazon if you've got some shopping to do, fdrurl.com slash Amazon. Thanks, Emil, everyone, so, so much. All right, up first today is Jim. Jim wrote in and said, When I watch and listen to reports about what happened in Orlando on Sunday morning, I hear the left and the establishment blame guns or make some vague reference to hate or references to how people just need to quote-unquote change. I hear a few people within the Target demo mention the real problem, and I've come to two conclusions. The left is like some kind of bizarre anti-life, anti-human group with no sense of self-preservation, and their hate for the right wing is so intense that it trumps their desire for self-preservation. Do you agree? If so, why do you think this is the case? And why does the left have such a hold over its members? That's from Jim. Good to talk to you. I mean, this is a big question. You know, have you ever read Atlas Shrugged? Absolutely, yes. I've read it twice. Okay. So, you know, spoiler, for those who haven't read it, just go read it. But Jim Taggart, right, the... The end, I I didn't find it believable when I was younger, the end of Jim Taggart. But um, as I get older, the, the, the sort of virulent anti-life, like they don't want to live. Yeah. You know, when I it's like when I watch some of this stuff, what really strikes out to me is the scene in the Taggart tunnel where it's like, you know, they're about to go to their death because there's nobody capable of operating the train anymore. And, you know, the politician has like, you know, intimidated intimidated his way into making it go through the tunnel and everybody's like lulling themselves to sleep with all of these comfortable things they're talk, talking to themselves about you know how they support such social justice and everything um and that's kind of what i get out of a lot of what i see yeah yeah the, the question sort of why is the left so i mean it, it is so full of of hatred yes that it's to me, it's like a toxic wasteland of, of subhuman virulence. This hatred 
is foundational to certain personality types. And I think it is personality types that are not capable of dealing with reality itself, but instead farms people rather than crops or uses human beings as livestock to gain resources. And that is, you know, the the anxiety of depending on other people to provide your sustenance, your, your, your shelter, your civilization, I think it can't be overemphasized. Like imagine if you had some crazy rich aunt and that aunt had $10 million and you were in the will for like, I don't know, $5 million or something like that. Well, imagine what that would be like for your life. Would you really want to go out and get a, and she's old, right? And she's not doing well and so on. And would you really feel the same level of ambition as somebody who wasn't waiting for that kind of inheritance? Would you feel that same level of drive, be your own man, get your own job, get your own career? I think it would be kind of tough to not feel like, well, what's the point? Why, why would, like, I've got this money coming from someone else, so why would I want to go out and bust my nuts and, and work night and day to, to get a bunch of money when I got money coming? And let, 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 but let's say also that it was becoming increasingly clear to your aunt that her impending willed money to you was doing you harm. Because right? I think this is the position of the left at the moment. They have made, let's just say to the individual, you would have made life decisions that were very foundational based upon this inheritance, right? You would have maybe have not have gone to school. You would have traveled around. Maybe you've run up a whole bunch of debt using this inheritance that you're going to get as collateral. Maybe you've been kind of a dick to people. Maybe you haven't bothered getting yourself that educated because, you know, you got this money coming. But let's say at this point, your aunt is like, wow, you know, this, this guy, I'm going to leave this five million to, he's kind of turned into a douchebag. And I think that the five million has something to do with it, if not a lot to do with it. And so she's sitting there thinking like, well, I don't think it's a good idea to give him five million dollars. And I don't know if it's a good idea to give him a penny. Now, how would you feel if you were like, I don't know, 32? You've been like a, a ski bum, snowboard instructor, all the things that prepare you to be prime minister of Canada. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> right. So you've, you've kind of bummed around. You've kind of been a douchebag. you kind of run up a bunch of debt and so on. It's like, no, it's going to be fine. I'm getting this inheritance. And then your aunt is like, ah, you know, you're getting wind that your aunt is like thinking of writing you out of her will. What would your feelings be about this aunt and the money yeah i i, I agree i you know my feelings about her i don't know what would the feelings be anxiety like it's severe intense anxiety um but you know well just to kind well, of no it's more it's more than anxiety though oh, because there would be anxiety a ferocious desire to control your aunt and keep yourself in the will sure but a complete inability to be honest about that right 
You'd have to go over. No, I, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing great things with my life. The money is, you know, not that important to me. It's a little thing, but it's not. You'd have to go and lie. Right. The whole time with her, you'd have to, and you'd, you'd hate her for making you lie. Right. For putting you in that position where you just couldn't be honest, right? Yeah. Yeah. You'd, you'd, you'd view her as hateful and manipulative and destructive and lying and giving you false hope and making you screw up your life with this promise of money that she just might not fulfill. Right. You'd think she's the biggest asshole on the planet for making you these promises, making you these offers, and then pulling the rug out from under you with no warning after you've made all these decisions on the anticipation of this money. And this might be, hey, auntie took up jogging. Auntie is eating very healthy. Auntie has lost some weight. Auntie has been cured of some illness. How are you going to feel about that? Like, don't let me too close to her plug. (laughs) I might want to pull the plug on her, you know, Um, you know, probably start um, not feeling good about the fact that this, um, this, uh, you know, that auntie might, um, might live. Right. And then at some point you might catch a glimpse of yourself. From years ago, there was a show called Alias, which was actually quite a lot of fun with a young Jennifer Garner. And in it, one guy was trying to insult another guy just as he was about to die. He's like, look at yourself. Look at yourself. There's this goal to turn you into the observing ego, to have yourself look at yourself and, and, and see yourself with contempt. But enough about general culture's approach to white people. So look at you. So at some point, you'll wake up in the morning and you'll feel a sinking set of disappointment that your aunt is healthy, that your aunt is robust. Your aunt phones you, says, oh, I just came back from the doctor. My cholesterol is down. My weight is down. He says, I've got another 20 years in me. And what are you going to feel? Oh, fuck. 20 years? No, no. I got, I got debts to pay now. I can't. I'm, I'm 32 years old. I can't wait till I'm 52 to get this money. And then you're going to look at yourself and you're going to say, what kind of unbelievable asshole am I that my aunt is telling me she's healthy and I want her dead. And that's called being dependent on others. And if you look at people on the left, where are they? They are in government. They are in academia. They are in think tanks. They are in politics. They are in unions. They are in government schools. They are on borrowed money, borrowed time, coerced resources. They are parasites and dependents. But they can't be honest about it. The market is the aunt. The leftists are the wastrel man or woman, Ah, ah, circling around the aunt's bed, hoping she's going to croak. And they can't stand it, this level of dependence. It's it's an addiction. It's, It's secondhand living. It's having all the independence of a shadow. And they rail against it, and they rage against it, and they project always. Oh, you see, the right wing are so full of hate. Really? 
Oh, the right wing are so manipulative. Really? There's a vast right wing conspiracy in the media. Bullshit. Emails have come to light of media, the media coordinating to get Hillary Clinton elected. So they can't stand the fact that they have no direct relationship to reality and all that they can survive on is the ignorance and manipulated pseudo-empathy, the pathological altruism of others. They can't stand it. It's a repulsive and horrifying and disgusting and vile state of mind and state of existence to be in. I hope Aunt dies. Oh, I better not think that. That's bad. Auntie is making me think bad things. God, I hate her. But I don't hate her because I got to pretend to like her. Otherwise, she'll cut me out of her will. Oh, she's doubtful about keeping me in her will because she's looking at my whole behavior suspiciously because I'm being an asshole and borrowing money on the strength of the inheritance. So she's thinking of cutting me off. So I got to go over and kiss her fucking ring. I got to go over and grovel before her just to stay in this will. To hell with her. Oh, but I can't say any of that. Like, it's such a twisted, manipulative, screwed up existence. This dependence, this parasitism. All the R-selected people around all the K-selected producers. They can't go out and make their own stuff. So they've got to scream, diversity! Diversity, subsidize me! The state of dependence is fine if you're honest about it. Like if you're honest and say, look, I don't want to face the market. I don't want to face trying to measure my value in the marketplace. And it comes from vanity. And vanity comes from insecurity. And insecurity usually comes from an honest assessment of yourself that you can't live with. And so vanity, which is I'm worth $100,000 a year or $200,000. i am worth this. Whatever, I'm worth it. I'm a teacher. I'm worth being paid $75,000 plus benefits and having two months off in the summer. I'm a university professor. I am worth it. I am worth working five hours a week and getting a couple of months off in the summer and every fifth year is this about, I'm worth it. And that vanity, that greed of saying that you're worth it. Well, you don't want that tested, do you? You don't want that actually tested by the marketplace. You just, you're worth, it's called entitlement, where you believe you're worth something that you're just not willing to go and earn. And so you have to create this elaborate scenario wherein you don't actually have to deal with the market. You have to create all these elaborate institutions and laws and regulations and and shields. Well, you got to be accredited to be a university, and you got to be a PhD to be a professor, and you got to go through tenure, and you've got you got to get to tenure. You've got to go through all of these hoops, and you why why just go talk to the people and tell them things that are valuable. Go sell your books. Go sell your speeches. Go sell your work to the people. No, they say I don't want that at all because they know they're shit on a shoe stain. But they don't want to know that because they're vain. The market cures vanity because vanity says I'm worth X, which is a theoretical proposition. I'm worth a million, a billion dollars a year as an intellectual, right? Okay, well, go to the marketplace and try. My books are the greatest. Okay, we'll go and sell them. And maybe they're better than the market can handle. I mean, who knows, right? But 
your vanity says, I am worth X. And then you go to the marketplace and you find out if people agree or not. And people don't want to find out if the market is going to assess their value as high as they themselves assess their value. They don't want it. It's a terrifying thing. It's a terrifying thing. Now, if you don't want the market to correct your vanity, if you don't want, like, you might be right. I'm sure Taylor Swift said, damn, I'm going to sell a lot of albums. Hey, she was right, you know. Uh, And uh, I was like, hey, I bet I can talk a lot about philosophy to people that are really going to like it. And hey, I was right. But I'm willing to put it to the market test. And if you're not willing to put it to market test, you're full of shit as a whole. I mean, just just a general rule of principle. People aren't willing to put things to the market test. I don't give a shit about what they say. I just, I don't care, basically. I mean, I've got, all I hear is blah, 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 entitlement, uh, gun, money, blah, blah, blah. So people who have vainglorious or megalomaniacal or narcissistic views of their own value know deep down that they're full of shit, so they have to set up all these structures to keep them away from the marketplace. Because they know in the marketplace... Now, the funny thing is, if they actually subjected themselves to the marketplace, they'd be humiliated, and then they'd probably end up doing better as a whole. But they don't want to go through that humiliation, right? They don't want to go through that humiliation of being knocked down and then being building themselves back up piece by piece. And so they say that the market is unfair. Oh, it's so mean. It's doggy dog. It's cutthroat competition, which basically means I can't compete. I don't want to compete. I don't want to go to the marketplace. I don't want to find out what I'm worth because deep down, I know I'm not really worth that much. In my current state. And it's the vanity that makes you not worth much. Because if you have humility, then you learn and you grow. And humility means submitting yourself to reason and evidence, which makes you more valuable to people who can think a little bit. A lot. I hope. If you are able to overcome vanity, you gain the humility of subjecting yourself to reason and evidence, following the facts and the data wherever they go. Which means that you have huge value to people out there in the world. What keeps people from having value is vanity. And the free market is constantly trying to cure people of vanity. It's coming in with that big Muhammad Ali fist. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Vanity, bang! Bloody nose, vanity, bang! Black eye. And it beats down and beats down on your vanity until you're cured. (gasps) I'm cured. The market has cured me of narcissism. The market has cured me of vanity. The market has given me the facts about my value Thank God, Mr. Market Man, you have saved me from delusion. How many people want to go through that bury yourself to get resurrected scenario? Well, (laughs) very few, very few want to go through that. Especially in the realm of virtue, especially in the realm of ethics, especially in the realm of good and bad, right and wrong. Because if you actually go out into the marketplace and you do good in the world, then you harm the interests of evil people who will then get angry at you. Ooh, that's the gig. Well, I really want to be a great oncologist. I really want to cure people of cancer, but I don't want to kill any cancer cells. I don't want to upset any cancer cells. I don't want to harm the self-interest of any cancer cells. Well, pick one. 
Being an oncologist means harming cancer cells. Being a moralist means harming evil people, dependent people, entitled people, government people, status. Being a libertarian means harming people dependent on the state. Being a free market economist means harming all the special interests that feed off statism. And if nobody's upset at you, it's because you're not doing anything other than making air move and shifting electrons around on the internet. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. It's magic. I've created something new. Nope, just shuffle the cards. So when you look at the left, they live a tortured existence. And the tortured existence is they hate the market because the market is an accurate assessment of the value in the minds and eyes of others of what they provide. So they hate the market. But they can't say that they hate the market because they can't compete. They have to say they hate the market because the market is somehow existentially unfair. I mean, it would be fair for them because they're wonderful, but for everyone else, it's just magically unfair. And that's like a dog whistle. It's a dog, like hatred of the market is a dog whistle. Hey, do you have a lot of vanity? Do you think you're king shit when you're actually a shoe stain? Do you think you're a wonderful singer, but you couldn't even pass a local karaoke singing contest? Are you William Hung? (laughs) And so hatred of the market is a call for vainglorious douchebags to gather and plot. Ooh, the cold, materialistic, dog-eat-dog marketplace of her. It's a dog whistle for vainglorious people who don't want any accurate assessment of their social value to get together and plot and steal and thieve and destroy. And this is why the left so continually focuses on undermining your capacity to accurately perceive the world. This is why leftists tend to be relativists. This is why they create fantastical structures like privilege, (laughs) Uh, rape culture, and, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? There was a college recently with 97% women there. There was a big article written by somebody at the college about how toxic its rape culture was. Really? 97% women. Boy, those 3% of men can be extraordinarily toxic. So that's the dog whistle. You hate the market, hate freedom, hate voluntarism. Well, nobody can say that. Nobody can say, I want to arrange marriages because no woman would want me. (laughs) Someone's got to be forced to marry me, right? They have to say something else, right? Right. And all the people of low sexual market value... Because it comes down to sex. It comes down to genes. Now, to be fair, the uh, 3% of men were all either G-Con or his descendants. But uh, (laughs) it's about sexual market value. And um, people with low sexual market value People with low resources, it's the old question, right? Do you, When you're a low man on the totem pole, do you drag down the totem pole or do you raise yourself? That's the fundamental question. If you're an unattractive woman, do you want to make yourself more attractive 
and everybody can work to make themselves more attractive and exercise and eat well and all these kinds of things and get your teeth fixed and, you know, be decent to your appearance. So if you're an unattractive person, say you're an unattractive woman, do you want to become more attractive? Or do you wish to say that being attractive is bad? It's shameful to be attractive. It's wrong to be attractive. It's immature to be attractive. It's bad to be attractive. It's materialistic to be attractive. It's manipulative to be attractive. Triglypuff might benefit from a little bit of fat shaming. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> right? So when you have low resources, you have to set out this other dog whistle, right? So let's say you're some loser guy in a basement, right? There's an old saying that says, any man seen taking a bus over the age of 30 has been a failure in life. But let's say some, you're some loser guy in your early 30s. Well, and, and you look at guys who have been successful, who've worked hard, who've got money, who've got resources, who have a decent career, who, right? And what do you say? You say, those guys are totally fake. They're hollow. They're empty. They're shallow. They're just empty suits. They, they're nothing. They're bad, materialistic. And that way, you're putting out a dog whistle. I resent success. And I put out this thing, I say that success is bad. Success is failure, right? Everything is, um, everything is inversed in the leftist world, right? Right. Radical Muslims are tolerant. Feminists are into equality. White males hold down women while all other cultures are wonderful for women. I mean, it's, it's literally the complete inverse of reality. And you could go on and on with this kind of stuff. But I've got a whole series of videos, liberal hypocrisies. We're going to put out part three soon, but you can check those out. So when you say, I hate success, I hate the marketplace, those guys are shallow, they're empty, they're suits, they're this and that and the other, right? It's the Mr. Burns thing, right? Loser, drunken, idiot, violent, Homer Simpson, he's the hero. And, you know, the wizened crypt keeper of evilness known as Mr. Burns, well, he's the guy who's got money, right? right. It's a dog whistle that goes out there. You know, like the Seth Rogen, Adam Sandler kind of movies. Weed is cool. Not working is fun. Irresponsibility is excellent. Yeah. Did you smoke a lot of weed and be really irresponsible to make a movie? No. Ah, it's always aimed at the whites. Anyway, that's a topic for another time. Yes. They don't say that in a lot of Jewish families about going to school, do they? No. Here, weed is cool. Seth? <laughs> anyway. Um, so... The left has to put out these signals, these signals, the virtue signals of inversion. It is virtuous to fail. It is virtuous to be fat. It is virtuous to be ugly. It is virtuous to be verbally abusive. And here are all of the enemies I'm going to set up for you to vent your helpless rage on. And by all the enemies, I mean white males. <laughs> right? And I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to paralyze and fail you in life. And an injection of leftist ideology is a paralytic for the future arc of a human being. You sit there and you, you get this leftist helplessness and rage and defensiveness and, and irresponsibility and, and victimhood and vast forces arrayed against you that you can't possibly 
surmount. This um, le- leftism is a, is a virus to to paralyze and destroy sexual market value, so that other low rent, low sexual market people can feast off your destroyed gene pool. It is a way of replicating that which is guaranteed to make you fail. It is guaranteed to make you fail. Well, I shouldn't say that exactly, because while there's a whole leftist infrastructure out there, like media and uh, think tanks and academia and, and unions, but in particular media, think tanks, academics, and so on, if there's, there's a leftist structure out there, you can succeed there. But it is designed to destroy your sexual market value so that other people of low sexual market value can gain access to your naughty bits. Because if you have low sexual market value and everyone else has higher sexual market value, guess what? Your genes ain't going to reproduce. And so your genes are trying to aim to, to, to create other people at your level of sexual market value. That, that's just really, really important because if you're a guy, listen, if you're a guy and you have low sexual market value and you can't, if, if there's no other woman around with low sexual market value, you can't reproduce. So genes want to create an environment where there are other people like you. Fat people want to make fat people. Rather than some fat people will lose weight, but very few succeed in any life. 2% of people lose weight and keep it off. So fat people want to create fat people. Uh, Ugly people want to create ugly people. Vicious people want to create vicious people. Because that's who they mate with. Like attracts like. Misery loves company. And at a biological level, this is really important. Your genes in and of themselves can't make new genes. You need someone who's going to bear your children. And so when you look at the left, you're looking at a bunch of people who are pretty shitty all around. And they are aiming to make other shitty people and to to lower people's sexual market value so that they can reproduce. It's a way of multiplying your genes by multiplying people who you could potentially mate with. And you can see this, like low-rent people, if you try to sort of break out of it and you try to become better or more noble or more heroic or more productive, then they'll try and pull you back down a lot of times. And this hatred of the good for being the good, which is Ayn Rand's central thesis, I mean, that certainly is partly driven by psychology and partly driven by excuses and wanting to pull other things down rather than raise yourself up. But fundamentally, it's a biological imperative. That um, if you are a fat woman, you have low sexual market value. I mean, I guess there'll be a couple of chubby chasers, but they're not going to settle down with you. You have low sexual market value. Now, you can either lose the weight, and but that's that's a whole big thing, and it very rarely works. And you come from a whole societal, familial, environmental, class-based system which has produced your fat. So what are, your, what are your options? Well, the more women you can make fat, the fewer competitors you have. And so you're going to start focusing on, well, you know, ideal body images are shameful. And there's nothing to be ashamed about about being fat. And stop shaming fat people and this, that, and the other, right? And it, it only matters who you are on the inside. Yeah, but who you are on the inside is partly displayed by how you appear on the outside, there's not like this soul inside you has nothing to do with your appearance. And so someone who becomes fat is broadcasting you know, a lot about their 
sense of themselves, their sense of empiricism, their ability to look down and notice things changing. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to want to make other people fat. They're going to want to undermine beauty. They're going to be really bothered by pictures of, is your body beach ready? So they're going to want to pull that down. They're going to want to try and destroy that. They're going to say, beauty is bad. Because in the hopes of doing that, in the, by doing that, they hope that other women will turn away from grooming and self-presentation and dieting and exercise and whatever it is that they're going to do to keep themselves attractive. They're hoping they can turn women away from looking good so that they don't look so bad. Take out the competition. It's a fairly brilliant strategy. And uh, it's not very effective in a free market, but it's effective when you can control narratives in, in media, movies, TV, academia, and so on. So I don't think that they, they do have a desire for self-preservation, but it's just because leftists in general, and I've got a whole series called Gene Wars, G-E-N-E Wars, which people should really, really check out. It's very key to this conversation. We'll talk about it more about Japan later, but um, they're not concerned with long-term survival. They're sh concerned with short-term reproduction. You know, if, if, if a woman has a kid by another man, the man leaves her, She's a liability that lowers her sexual market value enormously. So what does she want? She wants welfare. Why? She wants welfare so that she's not a liability, but may in fact become an asset. So she can have a boyfriend come live with her and live off the welfare. And so now the children who are in fact liabilities because they cost money have now become assets and that's raised her sexual market value. And people vote along the lines of sexual market value all the time. All the time. And I said this before about teachers. Why do teachers resist so much any kind of real or normal summer, right? Actually, somebody was telling me that it's because before air conditioning, schools were just too damn hot. And that's why they were off in the summer, but I don't know if it's true. Anyway, a woman has higher sexual market value who's a teacher because kids are off in the summer. And, and if you have a wife who's a teacher, she can be off in the summer too, and you don't have to spend all this money and time and effort on on daycare. So it's, it's just higher sexual market value. Camps, you know, spend all of that. It's easier. Kids uh, get out of school at 3.30 or 3.15 or whenever it was. And if you're a teacher, you can often get out at that time too. So it's just much easier. So higher sexual market value. And a woman who comes with a um, sort of predefined healthcare package uh, from, like in America, or it's not socialized, a woman who comes with a predefined healthcare package from her government union or government-protected union, well, here's one problem with women. They're expensive medically, <laughs> right? Lovely, wonderful, expensive medically. And so one of the reasons why women generally, when women get the vote very quickly thereafter, you will generally get socialized healthcare because... Women cost money because they go to the doctors more and they have, you know, weird boinky boinky plumbing issues that uh, are generally alarming to people who aren't women. And so when they want to get married and so on, the man has to budget for the, if she's going to stay home with the kids, they have to budget for additional costs for 
women's health care. And so when you have to pay extra for someone for something, you tend to have a little bit more authority over them. Now, women don't like that. So if they can shift the cost of health care to the government, either through Obamacare or socialized medicine, whatever, well, doesn't cost as much to have a woman around, you know, to get married. And so they have more power in the relationship because they're not as expensive. And it sort of goes on and on. You can explore so many of these things too. And it happens to men as well. Men who are shitty at saving want unemployment insurance. So if they lose their job, they're not a liability. They're an asset. So, I mean, it sort of goes six million different ways from Sunday. But uh, this is, I think, really uh, important to understand that uh, they have their plan. It's just that they are selected. They're rabbits, not wolves. So they don't care about the long-term effects. They only care about short-term sexual market value and short-term resources. And um, they become experts at manipulation, but manipulation is a weak position. Like the guy who's waiting for the five mil inheritance from his art is in a fundamentally weak and dependent position. And that creates a lot of hatred. That creates a lot of rage. That creates a lot of projection. That creates a lot of murderous thoughts. Creates a lot of murderous thoughts. And that's why the left always accuses the right of creating a toxic atmosphere that promotes violence. It's like, oh, come on. This is, that's the left in a nutshell, in my opinion. Does that help at all in terms of ways to approach it? I don't know that's definitive and it's not all philosophical and syllogistic, but I think it's in useful. Yeah, well, I agree with everything that, you know, the, everything that you said. Um, you know, I guess kind of what prompted me to ask the question is, uh, you know, sort of the events of, you know, in Orlando this past weekend and some of the things that I've seen there where, you know, some of the victims or people within, you know, the, the affected communities, uh, you know, like the, the gay and primarily the gay community, but I think it was Latin night at the gay club, um, where, you know, they are so ensconced in the left in, in what the left has taught them that they can't even see who their real enemies are. Like they can't even see who's really coming at them with guns. I don't know if you had the opportunity at all this week to see the, the clip between um, Anderson Cooper um, and um, uh, Pam Bondi, the uh, attorney general in Florida. And, uh, you know, she's, was, she's not a fan of the gay community, um, you know, for, I, I, you know, go into that. I know a little bit of background on that, but, you know, she was offering her services. Her office was there to help kind of with any legal issues they might have had as a result of having recently deceased loved ones. And he was just like wailing into her and saying, isn't it a sick irony that you have to be here supporting this community? And it's like, at what point do you not see she's not the one with the weapon? Like anything that she has ever done in her support of, um, you know, she did, did, did back in 2008. Uh, in Florida, uh, they were, I live in Florida. I actually used to live in Orlando. Um, passed uh, Amendment 2 was a constitutional amendment banning gay marriage, supported by 60% of the voters. And there were some legal challenges to it. And as attorney general, um, you know, she stood up for, for the constitutional amendment. Um, and it's kind of like, at what point in time do you see that her doing that did not put a bullet in anybody's head? But people are so ensconced in the fact that of, of what the left has kind of like grouped them together to think that um, it goes beyond economics. Like this is like actually their survival and they just can't even see it. 
What you mean the gay community? Yeah. Oh no, no. Listen, man. <laughs> I don't I mean they're they're seeing it. I mean the, the the number of gays who are signing up for gun um lessons, gun courses and so on is is massively exploded just over the last week. Um gay, gays for Trump. Uh, you know, Second Amendment and uh, restrictions on Muslim immigration uh, is starting to become quite important. Uh, gays are smart, uh, and um, they have received more sympathy in some ways from the left than from the right, partly, of course, because of Christianity and, and other reasons. But no, they're not, uh, you know, the, the fact that the left, you know, the argument from some gay activists is the left is placing the feelings of Muslims above the lives of gays. That is, un- that is, I mean, for, for gay people who have any sense of in-group preference, and I know that they do, that is unforgivable. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that's the case. Uh, you know, just and I was kind of looking at it as some of the evidence that I had seen and, you know, some of the Facebook posts that I had read. And, uh, you know, kind of I got into a conversation with it, you know, with, with someone on someone else's page earlier this week. And, I, you know, even the, the, the response, I had seen that Anderson Cooper clip shared like 16 times. With, you know, not necessarily just that wasn't coming from gay people necessarily, but like their supporters or, you know, people who were, you know, down with the struggle with them who were like, yeah, Anderson, you stick it to her. And I was like, you know, I I hope that people one of the the comments that I got um, in a Facebook uh, conversation that I had this week was was with with, was a my um, my accountant had posted a um, had shared a post and, and I had said something about you know, uh, you know, these people aren't, you know, who wonder you're going to see kind of who the real enemy is. And, um, you know, I, I, this, his gay guy who he is friends with had said something about, you know, what would be really nice is if, you know, Republicans and Christians would stop demonizing us and stop causing all of this. And I responded to him like, you know, there's people out there that want to kill you and they're not Republicans and they're not Christians. And, you know, I've, I've kind of seen, like I said, just seen a whole lot of chatter. I hope what you're saying is correct, but there's still a lot in, in, in that it's kind of hopefully shifting. But the fact that there's a lot of that ensconced, um, you know, within that community or within its supporters or, you know, just, you know, it, it, it strikes me as odd that, you know, you kind of can go above and beyond economics. Um, but there's, you're talking about bullets flying through the air and yet, there are some people who will not kind of abandon what the left has taught them. Well, look, I'm wading into politically incorrect waters here, but I'm just going to tell you what I think. Sure. Yes, there are some Christians who have negative thoughts about homosexuality, for sure. But I got to tell you, gays give it pretty good, too. Right. I mean, I've not seen a lot of love and support and sympathy and education from gays to Christians. I've seen a lot of Christian bashing on the gay side as well. And I understand the frustration. I mean, I get it. I mean, and so on, right? But um, they also can be pretty harsh on Christians as well. And, and, you know, if it comes back to the who started it, well, I don't know. What's older, Christianity or homosexuality? I, I don't know. I mean, of course, uh, you could say that the Christians started it, and maybe that's true. Although, as Milo Yiannopoulos has pointed out, the Catholic Church was protecting gays long before any state ever did so. Right. But um, the difference is, you know, because people say, well, you know, the, the, the Old Testament has a lot of negative things to say about gays. I've quoted them on this show before. It's horrible stuff, very bigoted stuff. 
But that's the whole point of Christianity is there's a New Testament. I don't think Jesus said anything negative about homosexuals. And the whole point now is that the, 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 the debate about the separation of church and state is largely over in the West. Now, there is, of course, uh, Christians who activate or who, who uh, um, are arguing for and, and have activism for changes in law. And some of that is defensive and some of that is not. But atheists are doing it too. You know, atheists are trying to get this Ten Commandments banned from here and to get this prayer taken out of here and get this, right? I mean, it's both sides, right? Sure. I guess, you know, like I said, you know, as I sort of and I'm kind of going back to the clip and, and I could that I'd seen, um, you know, we're sort of just kind of having watched the news unfold on 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 Sunday morning. It's like, you know, we have a, we have here a Republican governor in the state of Florida and, um, you know, our attorney general is a is Republican as well. Um, you know, there was no hesitation um, as to where they stood on the issue. It was like, you are our community members. You are, you know, you are Floridians. You are Americans. You were attacked. You know, they didn't say this, but it's like when the bullets start flying, you're one of our people and we love and support you. And it's like there's still hatred for them. It's like, you know, it's sort of like whatever happened yesterday, what happened yesterday, and whatever happens tomorrow is going to happen tomorrow. But today we're on your side. And there seems to be a lot of you know, at least in, you know, the media and it's the media is getting it. There's still an audience for it um, where, 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 you know, some this kind of hatred is so ensconced. And it's and at this point, it's not about how we're going to, you know, whether we're going to how we're going to get our check next month. I mean, we're talking about people's lives at this point. Well, and look. Christians disapprove. Some Christians disapprove of gays. Mm-hmm. Some gays disapprove of Christians, right? Right. Some Christians will say that gays are negative in some way, and some gays will, will say that Christians are bigoted, right? But they have those conversations, they have those disagreements, and they're allowed to keep their distance. True. Absolutely. Nobody was allowed to keep distance from certain commandments in Orlando last Saturday night. Amen. I agree with that. 100%. Right. So because so so the Christians. Look, it's fine if people disagree with your lifestyle. Yeah. Fundamentally, who cares? Exactly. Who cares? People disagree with my lifestyle. People disagree with your lifestyle. So what? The point is we're allowed to disagree with each other. Christians are allowed to disapprove of homosexuals. Homosexuals are allowed to call Christians bigots. That's free speech, freedom of association. We're allowed to disagree with each other. Yeah. Now, and, and now the difference the difference is though we have to respect the separation of church and state. Sure. Nobody is trying to criminalize homosexuality. But half of British Muslims want homosexuality criminalized. So the idea that the problem is Christians for gays, no no no. That one's done. That's way that's hundreds of years in the rearview. Yeah. Separation of church and state. Exactly. Now, is the separation of church and state perfect? Of course not, but that's not a Christian idea right and that kind of goes into my because sorry because the, the yeah. atheists are doing that as well well that kind of goes into my point about there's this there's this hate out there amongst the left i'm not I don't, the, the left as a whole because you know the left is sort of you know they're you know in solidarity sort of you know supporting the same causes over there's so much hate for the archetypal right-wing person you know it's like 
if you, um, you know, drive a four-wheel drive truck and, you know, go to a church on Sunday and shout praise Jesus and then go home and shoot, you know, you know, beer cans off of your fence, um, you've never, and may not like gay people, you're the enemy regardless of the fact that you didn't do this. You know, you didn't shoot anybody up. They didn't shoot anybody up on Sunday night or Saturday morning or Sunday night or Saturday morning or what have you. Um, but the, there are, so they, they can't get over the fact that, um, you know, their hatred for the right is so intense that they can't focus their, and you know, that their attention on who really did this or even call them out. I mean, it's like, you know, we're, we've really got to have, we've got to look at ourselves and we've got to change. I'm like, I'm sorry. We don't, I don't know who, what we are talking about, but we didn't have anything to do with this. You know, there was this guy from, you know, his dad was running for president, pretended like he was running for president of Afghanistan. He did this. I don't know who we is. He did this. And this was like a radical Islamic terrorism attack on your facility or your club. So when are you going to call that out? When are you going to wake up and say, um, you know, what you can support a $15 an hour minimum wage. You can want all the free stuff that you want. You know, why aren't you demanding somebody give you free guns to defend yourself? It's like, what's this hold where you've got to march in lockstep with everything that they tell you, you know, that the left is telling you, you have to believe when there's bullets flying. Well, but, um, People will comply to most social things until it's not in their self-interest to do so. People don't have any principles. They don't have a foundational ethics. They're just, they're like fish in a current trying to find their easiest advantage and way forward. And this is why things generally have to get a lot worse before they get better because people are reactionary, they're passive, they're just trying to adapt to the convenience of the moment. And uh, this, of course, is a wake-up call. Right. For gays with their relationship to the left. Right. And um, they'll figure it out and pretty quickly, too. They'll pretty quickly figure it out. And, you know, one of the things that has happened is, you know, as a version shows before, go read up on Islam. Right. So what's happened is people have said, wow, this guy thought that there was anti-homosexuality had something to do with Islam, I'm going to go look it up. Ah, right? And then they start looking it up and they start reading the hadiths. They start reading the text. They start reading the Quran they, and they, they become enlightened. They learn. They have facts. They have understanding. They have commentary. They have detail. They have text. And that is a brutal way to become educated. But a lot of people are looking stuff up that otherwise they never had have, that they would never have looked up before. Gotcha. Well, so I have a, you know, this is just as I'm trying to get my arms wrapped around some of the stuff that I see that just seems so, you know, like I can't make any sense of it. And I sort of came up with the idea, I wanted to, to run it by you. And one of the things is I've kind of, you know, observed the world over, you know, the course of my, you know, adult life is that, you know, people call them the social issues, but I call them like the sex, drugs and rock and roll issues um, that in some ways those issues can sort of become a wedge um, where people are willing to, to vote and support things um, that kind of go against their economic self-interest 
um, simply kind of to show solidarity with anything that would be in an opposition to, say, mid-20th century American social mores. So, you know, for example, I might, um, you know, support a leftist candidate um, if they say that they are for abortion on demand, even if they're going to, like, you know, bring in socialism, like, that, there, that there's people out there that would support that. Um, and so it was kind of like, well, how does, how does this happen? You know, how, how and, and like, I think the, um, you know, kind of the gay community is another example of that. You know, I've, um, through my, through the course of my work, I, you know, have a, you know, a lot of gay colleagues and, um, like you mentioned, I know them to be very smart, very professional, um, you know, and typically speaking, you know, you're not going to find them be, you know, single mothers who are going to need, you know, state assistance, Typically speaking, at least uh, anecdotal evidence in, in my life would suggest they probably tend to be on the higher end of the, you know, socioeconomic ladder. So other than simply like marriage, right? So other than simply having this like legal construct that in, for millennia has existed only between men and women, like you can do everything else, right? It's just that, that if you can, they'll, they'll, they'll deny themselves of everything other than that for their self-interest, but, but that specific thing. And, you know, I, I kind of look at it like, well, what could, could, could cause that? Or, you know, I see like abortion. It's like, I used to think that I was, you know, pretty kind of liberal with my attitudes towards abortion. And my attitude towards abortion is simply this. It's like, okay, it's a get out of jail free card. You know, if you want to go get one, go get one. But Pay for it yourself, and um, don't call it healthcare because it's no more healthcare than Nancy Pelosi's Botox. You know they both take to- take place in a doctor's office, but that's about it. Well, except that the, the uh, one kills a potential human being, and the other one keeps a potential human being slightly waxier looking. <laughs> right, exactly. But no, it's I mean, the, the the abortion thing as well. It's again comes down to sexual market value. Well, and I guess because no, listen, listen. Yeah. If you if you are a woman mm-hmm. and you have to bring a pregnancy to term let's say that there's no abortion money you have to bring a pregnancy to term well that takes you out of the dating market for a while sure and everyone knows that you had a kid right outside of wedlock with no like you had an unplanned kid which right. means you're stupid right 17 different kinds of birth control and you couldn't find some way to keep a sperm out of an egg right, right. And so with an abortion, you can go and have the abortion and nobody knows how stupid you were to get pregnant outside of wedlock. Right. And that's that's right. So 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 and the other thing, too, even if you move to some other place, you've got the stretch marks. Right. So some guy will see you in a bathing suit or, or whatever. He'll say, oh, you had a kid. Right. Right. So it's with you because you've got the stretch marks. And so, so nobody wants to broadcast how irresponsible and low, because having a kid outside of wedlock used to be death for sexual market value. So abortion, again, outside of all of the other issues, abortion is just a way of try, for idiot women to try and maintain their sexual market value by being able to hide the fact that um, they had a kid. Right. There's other considerations, but it's one something like that. Well, especially I, if it's more than one abortion. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, that's my. my I used to think that that was a, a kind of a liberal attitude towards things until I realized the fact that I wasn't willing to call it healthcare, and the fact that I was, you know, not willing to, you know, have the state subsidize that 
you know, meant that I was a misogynistic male, you know, that there are, um, you know, people out there promoting, you know, promoting the idea that, you know, this is just you, you got pregnant, like you were got it, catching a cold, and that this is just, you know, a standard healthcare procedure that, you know, you, you need to have. Um, and then, you know, when I kind of really realized that, you know, kind of watching the whole Planned Parenthood thing unfold, it's like, wow, the, 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 this is, this, there's, there's, this is way beyond this. These people don't think that I'm, you know, I'm not socially liberal and accepting and tolerant with my viewpoint. And I guess kind of the, the conclusion that I came across is that when it comes to some of these like sort of, you know, social mores issues, is it that, and I would say, you know, marijuana or medical marijuana, at least is kind of part of this is, you know, like in the, it's not enough to be able to just have abortion be, you know, legal and you can pay for it yourself. And it's not enough to be able to, you know, for two adults to be able to like sleep with whoever they want, um, you know, and do, you know, arrange their lives in whatever way they want to arrange their lives. It's kind of like, you know, as I look at, at that movement and sort of how it, it has progressed over time, it's like it used to be, well, who are you to tell me who I can and can't sleep with? OK, you win. This, then, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I, I don't want to get I got to get onto the next caller because we've got a bunch of callers tonight and I don't want to get into a whole uh, abortion thing. But do appreciate the conversation. You're welcome to call back anytime. It's a great, great topic. But uh, if I want to get to bed before dawn, uh, I'm going to move on to the next caller. Thanks. Thanks Have for a good your, night. Take, your comments. Take care. All right, up next is AJ. AJ wrote in and said, Japan has been facing a population decline for some time now, and the future forecast is even more frightening, with the population expected to decline by 700,000 a year within the next decade. The obvious solution is to ask the people to have more babies, but the Japanese are either delaying marriage or avoiding having babies, no matter the welfare goodies that are thrown at them. With feminism being less active here, I think this Eastern nation has quite a different perspective to offer us. What do you think? That's from AJ. Hey, AJ, how you doing? Hi, Stefan. Uh, you got, have, you got the, have you got the Japanese environment going on? Is that where you are? Uh, yeah, basically I've been uh, immigrant, not, uh, I'm an immigrant from India uh, to Japan, and uh, I went to university over here, and now I'm working for about five years in the manufacturing sector. Now, you're the non-Japanese immigrant who got in. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's singular, right? Not, not a lot of AJs around, right? Yeah. So basically, I'm an engineer. Okay. But uh, so in university, I was surrounded by young people. And uh, mostly, I, I didn't know anything about the Japanese society. But once when I'm in the work environment. Uh, Sorry, can you just uh, I... speak a little bit? Just speak a little bit slower. It's not because of your accent. It's just it's a little hard to follow because the connection is a bit weak. So go ahead. Okay. <clears throat> So when I was in the university, uh, there were, I was surrounded only by students. So I, I didn't know much of this uh, aging society, society, social problems. But uh, after entering the workplace, uh, I'm, I feel myself surrounded uh, by many guys in, are in above 50, 50. And uh, in my neighborhood, there are more, more people, uh, about 65. I, I guess they would be around 40 percent yeah no listen i'm gonna run through some stats here um which i looked up today um boy so 2015 census japan's population had shrunk by almost a million people in just five years from 128 to 127 million people 
Um, there are more sales of adult diapers than child diapers. The um, so you need two point one births per women to sustain a population, maybe a little bit of growth. In Japan, it's about one point four per woman, and I think that I've seen cases where it's it's even lower. Uh, in 2015, nearly a third of all Japanese citizens are older than 65. So Japan, the place where you need to speak up. By 2050, it's going to lose another 15% of its population. Um, and uh, more than 40% of the country will be 65 years or older. So there's a city, Urasu, has allocated 90 million yen to subsidize egg freezing for women. So they'll pay like a huge proportion, I think 80% of the egg freezing. It's like, man, when you're in the ch- cryogenic <laughs> egg freezing, you are in a difficult spot uh, as a, as a situation. And 20% of those eggs are successful. I'm sorry? Uh, 20% of those uh, frozen eggs uh, are successful. Yeah, oh, no, no, it's not. It's not a great way to do it. And despite what internet videos say, a 2013 survey found that 45% of women and 25% of men between 16 and 24 were not interested in or even actively despised sexual contact. 45% of women, 25% of men between 16 and 24 actively despised or not interested in sexual contact. And this is, um, there's a term for straight men who aren't interested in sexual relationships. So shoku danshi, or grass-eating men. How the orders, yeah. Grass-eating men. And there's also dry fish ladies, I think, uh, uh, <laughs> which uh, is also, um, is important. Uh, and I'm just going to give you some other examples. Um, so for 49.3% of people between 16 and 49, they hadn't had sex in the past month. So 48.3% of men and 50.1% of women. And this is 5% up in just two years. It was 5% up from just two years prior. And why? Why? Well, 21.3% of married men and 17.8% of married women cited fatigue from work. And 23% of married women said sex was bothersome. And uh, almost 18% of male respondents said they had little interest or a strong dislike of sex. In 2011, 27% of men and 23% of Japanese women aren't interested in a romantic relationship. From ages 18 to 34, 61% of men and 49% of women aren't involved in a relationship. From ages 18 to 34, 36% of men and 39% of women have never had sex. In uh, Japanese women in their early 20s have a 25% chance of never marrying and a 40% chance of never having kids. And in 2014, 1 million infants, 1.3 million deaths. And uh, by 2040, which at one point seemed like science fiction and now is less than a generation, it's going to be down by 20 million people. The population now japan of course you know the traditional response of western countries is hey immigration open the floodgates let's pretend this is going to work and that's of course not the way that it works in japan there's no birthright citizenship law right so you get married you have a kid no if you get visas to work in japan if you're korean you go to japan you pass on korean citizenship to your children Unless like, there's this long grinding process of naturalization and so on. And so not only do they not have birthright citizenship, they have 
you pass your non-citizenship to your kids. So Koreans who immigrated to Japan during the country's period of colonial rule, they ended up passing their Korean citizenship onto their kids. These people are called Zainichi, speak only Japanese and grow up with Japanese culture, but have still have Korean passports handed to them down through the generations. And there's a bunch of Brazilian guest workers called Dekasegi who moved to Japan in the 1980s and 1990s. Now, these Brazilians are ethnically Japanese, but they're culturally distinct and didn't succeed at assimilating into Japanese society. So, hey, you know, it's only been, what, um, 36 years, 26 to 36 years. They did not assimilate, even though they're ethnically Japanese, they still didn't assimilate. In the late 2000s, you know, Japan's economy has been grinding away at the low ebb for decades. Many of these guest workers were asked to leave. <laughs> Many of these guest workers were asked to leave. Huh. But they were paid a one-time deposit. Right, right. So guest workers are not considered true immigrants. Their children and grandchildren are often seen as outsiders, absence of birthright citizenship, and so on. So they're not going to solve this problem with um, immigration. And you can't yeah. solve the problem with immigration. Um, now, the things happening in Europe? Oh, that's not. I can't. I do like, like to do a show without talking about Europe. <laughs> so um, I just, I can't. I just, I mean, I could, but I won't. So... Shinzo Abe's government, the prime minister, wants 80% of fathers to take paternity leave. Same as mothers taking maternity leave. They want to increase support for child care. And one economist has recommended a tax on the handsome to make geeky guys more attractive to women. So you'd get your looks rated. And if it was, I don't know, eight or nine, there'd be a tax on you so that geeky guys would be made more attractive. You know, I just don't have that much money. So... Uh, it is, and this is also, it's not just in Japan, right? I mean, in China and India, um, they, they've had so many boys born relative to girls that there's a big marriage squeeze starting to hit both uh, countries, which is another reason why. Anyway, anyway, let's get into that another time. Um, and uh, a lot of Japanese women who leave the workforce, um, they don't come back. In fact, there's a word. In, in Japanese, for married working women, right? If you're married and are working on Iome or devil wives. <laughs> so no prejudice involved in that. So those are some of the, um, the facts, or at least the surveys, around this kind of stuff. And if you want to know why, uh, I can certainly give you some theories uh, that, that I think will help. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know if you have seen my presentation on R-selected versus K-selected. I'll do it, go over it very briefly. People need to watch this Gene War stuff because we're circling back, baby, because the world is putting us that way. But um, uh, I have to watch uh, your presentation on. You have. Okay, so R-selected species tend to be prey species. Uh, they tend to live in uncertain environments where the best reproductive strategy is to have as many offspring as humanly possible like rabbits you know just you're not short of resources because you're always going to get eaten before you run out of resources like some of you will think of rabbits in a field full of grass they're going to eat all that grass and they're going to be hawks and there's going to be wolves and foxes going to eat the rabbits so they might as well just have as many kids as possible because their limit is the predation that they're going to be suffered to so they're less complex they have no particular in-group preference like they've seen rabbits like one other rabbit gets snatched by a hawk that doesn't the rabbit doesn't even stop eating they don't care right 
they tend to be less complex, less intelligence. Uh, they, they mature quicker. Uh, they have higher sex drives. They tend to have fatherless families and so on. So this is our selected prey species. Uh, the K-selected species tend to be more complex, bigger, heavier, slower to mature, heavy parental investment in the offspring. They've got to teach them how to hunt. They have strong in-group preferences because they need to work together as a team to usually do their hunting. And so um, this is basically left versus right in, in many ways. So it's um, R-selected versus K-selected. I'm going to use this terminology and hopefully that very brief intro makes sense. Right. So, they so want I will tell you – sorry, go ahead. So they would uh, like to uh, have their genes – uh, maybe continue in the life cycle? They would, sense? yeah. They want to have their genes continue the life cycle. So Japan has been under a lot of stress over the last couple of decades. And some of that is cultural, some of that is environmental, some of that is political. But after, you know, Japan was going to take over the world in the 80s, right? It was going to take over the world. And they were just going to... So efficient, so so. What happened was Japan, like you, like the usual status nightmare. They were very productive. They they got very good manufacturing. The very smart group, one of the highest IQs in aggregation out of Ashkenazi Jews uh, in the world, and so average IQ is like 106, 107 in Japan. Very strong spatial reasoning skills. You know, largely biological, perhaps a little bit environmental, but. Um, Japan was going to take over the world. And so they generated a lot of wealth, and then the government started borrowing and printing and spending and borrowing and printing and spending and all the usual central banking bullshit. And Japan has basically been stuck in a recession for like, I don't know, 30 years or something now. I mean, it's just, it's insane. And so when the economy went bad, a lot of people, men in particular, who are the traditional heads of household in Japan, responded by working, working, working because they're afraid of getting fired, strong company loyalties and so on. And so, as you've probably heard, there was this thing called karoshi, which was death by overwork. You just you, – you use only so many karaoke bars you can go to with clients before you just keel over dead. And um, so, this was sort of what the kids who are now around grew up with. It's a stressful environment. The economy is bad and is not getting better. Like, I mean, imagine sort of 2009 going on for 30 years. Uh, it's pretty terrifying. So – They've also had, of course, um, the, the, the nuclear uh, disasters, the earthquakes and so on. Now, though, you know, those are part of it. But in general, there's been a very, very stressful environment for families. Now, at the same time, as there's been a stressful environment for being a provider, which is, of course, what men in general want to do and go out and provide for the family. But if you can't do that in a reliable way, there are certain responses that happen that is different between R and K selection species, in my opinion. So at the same time as it's been less fun and a lot more stressful to try and provide for your family, you've got this giant distracting kaleidoscopic wall of technology and pornography emerging from – in the Japanese, you know, it's not just a cliche that uh, it's a bit technologically obsessed as a society. And so you have at the same time as the, the incentive and reward of being a family man has gone down considerably – the rewards of not being a family man have gone up considerably. So, you know, I mean, it's a famously non-religious or atheistic style society. So there's no particular historical ban on, on masturbation or anything like that. In fact, there are masturbation bars for women. Well, you're allowed in if you're a woman. You're only allowed in as a man if you're invited by a woman. But um, there is um, ways to satisfy yourself sexually outside of a relationship, of course, right? 
And so, you know, this um, pornography and anime and uh, um, the internet and various distractions and games and all that, well, it's become a lot more fun to not be a family man. At the same time, it's become a lot less fun to be a family man. And so there's that aspect of things that's happening in Japan as well. But here's the part that's really, I think, going to blow your mind, because this is the really, really important part. Those are all symptoms. What's the cause? Well, when our selected animals, when our selected species are stressed, do you know what they do? They pump out babies. Right? Because that's the whole point. The, 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 our selection is, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm in a random environment. I don't know who's going to live. I don't know who's going to die. So I'm going to pump out babies. Baby, baby, baby. In fact, <laughs> I, I found rabbits recently, uh, baby rabbits, and I was reading up on them. Within like an hour after giving birth, if you stroke the mommy rabbit's back, she'll raise her butt because she's ready to be inseminated again. Right? So our selected animals will breed, 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 breed when they're stressed. On the other hand, when K-selected animals are stressed, they stop breeding. When our selected animals are stressed, they breed like crazy. When K-selected animals are stressed, they stop breeding. And this makes perfect sense. Again, this is my understanding. This is my sort of theory. So, you know, I'll verify it. I'll just put it out there. But to me, it makes perfect sense because our selected animals get stressed, not because they're running out of resources, but because they're all being eaten. And so when our selected animals are stressed, it means that they better crank out the babies because there are a lot of foxes around. So they've got to, stress makes our selected animals breed more. However, if you're a wolf pack, the reason you're stressed is there's not enough food. There's not enough animals to hunt. There's not enough protein. There's not enough cal calories out there that you can hunt down and get. It's lean times. There are too many rabbits gone. They've all left. It's been too cold, whatever it is. And so, whereas the reproductive strategy for stressed R's is to breed, the reproductive strategy for stressed K's is to not breed. Is to not breed. Asians, Japanese, Chinese, Koreans, they are the most K-selected of the human races. The most K-selected of the human races. And so when you subject the Japanese population to, to multi-decades of stress, their hormones change, their sex drive diminishes, their desire to reproduce, their pair bonding, the, that diminishes. Now, it's diminished extra fast because, of course, there's many more fun distractions to, to get you through the day. But my argument would be why this happened is because the population is stressed and... When you're stressed and you're K-selected, you want to stop having kids. Now, what's interesting about this as a whole, which, okay, well, more, more about Europe and, and to some degree North America. So here's something that's very interesting. If there's a K-selected society, the R-selected gene set that's around it, you can think of ancient Rome in this way to some degree, but if there's a K-selected society if you are an R-selected gene set, the best thing that you can do is to get into that K-selected society by hook or by crook and create stress in that society. 
And the reason why that's so fantastic is if you, as an R-selected group, get into a K-selected society and cause stress, what happens is the stress makes the R-selected people breed like crazy and makes the K-selected people stop breeding. And if that isn't comprehensible and a fascinating way to look at modern history, I don't know what is. You could, could you come in and you, like if K-selected people are afraid that they don't have resources, they won't have kids. Our selected people don't care about not having resources. That's not how they're programmed because they evolved in environments that weren't short on resources. They were short on predictability and stability. And there was predation or random death that came from bugs or predators or diseases or whatever. Whereas the K-selected people grew up in environments where there was a lot more predictability and stability, mostly to do with agriculture and uh, the fact that you could control your environment and the fact that if you were in a cold climate, the various bacilli or bugs that would cause disease tended to die off over the winter, so it wasn't quite as bad. So if you as a R-selected group can get your way into a K-selected society, K-selected society is doomed. Because it's really stressful when waves of waves of R's come crashing into a K society. It's very stressful. That stress makes the R's breed like crazy and dries up the wounds and balls of the K's. So that's the reproductive strategy of the R-selected gene set. Go into a K society, stress everyone the hell out. Be criminals, be disruptive. I don't know, grope a lot of people. Stress people out, stress them out. Because the K's will stop breeding and you'll be boom, 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 boom. So that's my take. I'm not saying that's, of course, empirically proven to the nth degree. But I think it's got potential as a theory. Does that uh, make any sense? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, in Japan, there are less of those R, R category people. In, in where? In Japan. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. In, Japan in the- is, is, is very K. Oh, almost. It's a, it's a, you can say it's homogeneous, the population over here. Well, I mean, there's there's a bell curve in every, I mean, there's a bell curve in K-selected families between siblings. There's a bell curve everywhere, but I'm pretty sure that, um, uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, it's it's way over on the right-hand side of the of the spectrum in general. Uh, in the West, you have this uh, MGTOW movement coming uh, as an opposing force to feminism. Whereas in Japan, I don't see any of those kinds. Even though there are herbivorous men who are MGTOWs, uh, they are not as a, the result of a feminist, uh, feminism in Japan. Right. Well, of course, feminism is a way to stress out K-selected males so the K-selected males won't have children, right? It's just a way, again, whatever you can, like there's many ways to win a war. Many, it depends on your level of patience, right? And so uh, feminism is a way of raising the dangers of reproductive relationships for men who are smart enough to assess and understand those dangers. And the MGTOW guys are generally very smart and very perceptive, very well read, and have a deep understanding of the risks that sexual relationships have in the West. The risks of getting married, of getting divorced, of, of false rape charges, of, of uh, alimony, of child support, of, you know, you name it, right? And so if you, uh, if feminism has, you know, poisoned the relationship between men 
and women, and in general, has tipped the balance of power so far on the side of women that smart men look at that and say, it's not worth it. So it's, a, it's just a fantastic way of getting smarter men not to breathe. Not to, not to breathe, sorry. So that's my, um, uh, my, my take on it. So uh, it, it doesn't mean that... Sorry, let me, let me put it another way. Japanese men have lower testosterone than whites. Whites have lower testosterone than, than blacks. And so my guess would be that under stressful situations, the low testosterone Japanese men uh, and women, a low sex drive, they don't need the additional burden of feminism in order to get them to start breeding. But whites who are having more testosterone and higher sex drives than the Japanese and then East Asians, uh, they, they need the additional threat of feminism in order to get them to start breeding. Okay, but uh, to, remove, uh, to remove these stresses, uh, the Japanese government, they are uh, providing many incentives for them to reproduce. Like uh, every child gets, uh, uh, say, $10,000 uh, US dollars. And even in my workplace, uh, if you have uh, one child, you get uh, $60 a month and for, you get additional $200 for your wife. So they're providing uh, monetary incentives. Yeah, but kids cost, cost more than that. So, you know. Japanese are pretty good at math, if memory serves me right, from the math leads in my high school. Uh, so, uh, no, um, Stefan. I did the math. Uh, actually, uh, the uh, I mean, pregnant, uh, delivery expenses for the child; those are taken care of by the government, and uh, the public public education system it's it's relatively cheaper. Like it's almost fifty dollars a month. It's not so much, and even the university education it goes to around five thousand dollars a year. So it's relatively cheaper compared to what's uh, the education, uh, the expenses for a single child in the U.S. Or you're, say you're, not, you're not a father, right? No, I'm single. Okay, okay. So you don't know what you're talking about. I, I hate to say it, but I have to be blunt, right? Okay. So if, if you are a two-couple, two-income family, right? Mm-hmm. And in, as I mentioned already, in Japan, the significant majority of Japanese women after they have kids stay home with the kids and don't go back to work, right? And so if you um, are a two-couple, like they call them dinks, double income, no kids, right? And you then give up your wife's income in order to have children. I'm telling you, man, 60 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month ain't going to cut it because you've got the expense of having a kid and you've just lost your wife's income. Come on, man. This is not that complicated. Yeah, but when you take the average income in Japan, it's close to uh, thirty to $35,000 a year. So... And their income taxes also comparatively less. So, I, I, it's just a, a belief. Wait, did you, uh, did you, un- did you hear what I said? I don't know what you're yeah, talking I, about. I, okay, so you understand it's a huge fiscal net negative to have children, even if the government cuts up sixty or two hundred bucks a month, right? Because if you say the average income is thirty-five thousand dollars, okay, so as two people, you have seventy thousand dollars. If your wife stays home to work. You've just lost $3,000 a month. I don't think 200 bucks a month really fills that hole. And Japan, like all islands, you know, go, go, to, go to New Zealand. for Japan, like all islands, is ungodly expensive because they've got to ship so much stuff in. All right, so I uh, hope that helps. I'm going to move on to the next caller, but thank okay. you for a very interesting question, and thank you for uh, allowing me to look up Japanese porn. Just kidding. No, 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 <laughs> but anyway, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Trevor. Nice talking to you. All right, up next is Tony. Tony wrote in and said, I am from Orlando, 
and went to Pulse nightclub many times for drag shows and dancing. I am very angry about the possible ISIS attack, and also learning that a wonderful young man I had many happy and delightful customer services and experiences with at a few businesses in the local area, who was just starting his adult life, was killed during the terrorist attack at Pulse. I keep seeing this poor young man in my mind, bleeding out to death on the sidewalk in a police cruiser, as my aunt was able to tell me some of the supposed details. I am also a bisexual woman, and angry that our quote-unquote society insists on supporting people who practice a violent ideology that demands I be killed for being bisexual, how is it that people can reconcile in their minds these two polar opposite beliefs and claim they are open-minded because they can somehow love queers and Islam at the same time? That's from Tony. Oh, hi, Tony. How you doing? Hi. Um, I'm all right. Uh, hi, Mike. Hi, Steph. Just, um... Hi. Uh, listen, I mean, I, I want to obviously give you the the platform and the forum to, you know, make it real for people. You know, these were people desperately stampeding away from a cold-blooded oh, murderer. I'm just, I'm furious, Steph. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know so, how else uh, to here's, say Here's it. your platform. Um, tell, tell people what they need to hear about uh, this. Um... Well, I, I just, I'm, I'm furious. Uh, I'm trying to decide if it's, you know, the, the rational part of me that's like feeling rather like martial inside, or if it's just that I have an ACE score of nine, but, um, I just, I, I feel so much rage, um, and, so much vengeance wanting vengeance uh for this young man he was only 21 and very sweet when i would go into uh one of the shops that he worked at we would often stand when it was quieter in the evening and talk for 45 minutes to an hour um and one night ringing up my stuff i was like hey do you ever want to be a dad and he's like yeah, I'd like to do that someday. And I referred him to your peaceful parenting uh, section, and he listened to it. And um, I just, I'm just so furious that even had he not listened to it, you know, he's just a delightful, loving young man who was mowed down just at the start of his adulthood. Um, and it's, it's just sickening to me um, to hear people, particularly the media and then the people who sort of parrot what they say, saying, oh, well, we need to remember who the real victim is, and that's Islam. They're, they're personifying Islam as though it's it's a real person, a real entity that's capable of fence and victimization. And I, I'm just infuriated by that. Just, oh, um, I, I, I just, I'm starting to feel like just hatred, just 
absolute hatred for the leftists, the feminists, people who vote, statists, um, politicians, Muslims. I mean, just hatred. I don't. I don't have another way to put it. I don't feel any uh, sort of responsibility that I need to go out and talk to Muslims and find out what they're all about, which some people have said that I should do, you know, in uh, places on Facebook where I've been banned uh, for calling out people for their cowardice and asserting, you know, logically you can't love queers and Islam at the same time. Um, So (laughs) in a nutshell, I just, I'm... I'm seeing red, as it were. Um, and just just the, the hypocrisy of, oh, well, we need to be loving and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but these people, this ideology is not loving. They want me dead. Other people like me or pretty much anybody who isn't a Muslim dead. Like, how the hell can we love that? I mean, to me, that sounds like, well, hey, you know, instead of putting a flour in the biscuits, why don't we just put gunpowder in there and see what happens? It just makes no sense. And so um, I'm just wondering what you have to say. Well, I want to listen a bit more. I mean, this um, this young man and, you know, if he was interested in peaceful parenting and I appreciate you sharing that, that's a great loss. Um. And uh, he sounds like a great guy. It's a great loss no matter what. Um, now he's, you know, he's going to go into the ground. Yeah. And uh, his parents are going to mourn and his friends and his family and his brothers and sisters, uh, aunts and cousins and cousins, they're all going to mourn him. And he will, you know, cut down before he's even in his prime. I mean, this is horrendous. And the other thing too, you know, I... I have, I'm sure like yourself, a vivid imagination, and it's hard to avoid, I won't tell the story out of sensitivity to your feelings, but it's hard to avoid the thoughts of what his last... Oh, it is. It it could have been minutes, it could have been dozens of minutes, it could have been an hour, it could have been two hours, it could have been three. Uh, It's hard to know what, but, but we can imagine the unbelievable, hellish, nightmarish... Dantean lowest circle of Hades environment that was his exit from the world. This isn't like I didn't see the bus crossing the street, boom, done. This right. is right. I mean, how he died, butchered like a pig in one way or another, is about as worse, about as bad an exit as you can get. Yeah. Um, it was in his face. You know, it, it, it was all of them there, you know, anybody who's ever died because of this kind of shit, they can't escape it. You know, there's, there's, there's not a a chance really, you know, to step back off of the curb or, you know, go around that rattlesnake or, uh, and, you know, I, I do keep, uh, seeing um what i described my um my aunt uh goes to the pharmacy where he was employed and his uh this young man's brother-in-law 
works there is one of the managers and he gave her some of the details and said that he got out onto the sidewalk and was bleeding out there and then uh, to get him to try to get him to the hospital quickly he was put into the back of a police cruiser where he died he just bled out all over the back of a a cop car and then was taken straight to the morgue because he had already died um, and I went through similar visualizations of this in uh, 2004 when my mother died on a business trip. They call it accidental overdose, but I call it suicide. Uh, she drank herself to death. And I just had so much survivor's guilt because I was supposed to go with her. And I'm like, well, did she know she was dying? What was she feeling? And so this kind of thing for this young man is just uh, playing in my head, sort of like a, like a, like a still of a movie, like you can do on DVDs and just have it play a little piece over and over again. Um, and he was just so joyful whenever I saw him. And I have a younger cousin who, has a horrible disability called Rett syndrome and she's 10 and she can't walk. She can't talk. She can't speak or feed herself. And I would go with my aunt sometimes just to help her out, you know, with shopping. And we would go to the store and we would come in with my cousin and this young man would just come out from behind the counter and come over and talk to her and, uh, help us shop and just, give her kisses on her cheeks and um he was so sweet uh and he he wanted to do helpful things like become a paramedic or a firefighter um and I'm just trying to understand you know how is it that I'm supposed to feel compassion uh for Muslims when none was shown to him by this crazy asshole or set of assholes potentially who went in there and butchered all those people. Do you know, was, was he, he was shot? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm kind of a person. I don't, I mean, if you mean physically, I, I don't like to ask details. Um, right. So yeah, you have to self manage the horror, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't ask for details. Like I've been in situations where, um, you know, somebody wants to tell me about their surgery. And I'm just like, no, 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 please just, um, you had surgery. I get it that sucks, but I don't, I don't want the details, you know, I don't want to know how big your incision is or what color the stuff was that came out of it. Like, I don't want to know. Um, that for me, uh, it's, it's too much, you know, it's too much. Um, to know what his injury wounds were. Um, 
it's it's bad enough that he's dead. It, um, <sighs> but I just feel so furious, Steph. Yeah. My mind, um, you know, sometimes Tony, my mind wants to sort of pull me in to those very dark places in the world where I, you know, I mean, I study this stuff for this, for these conversations, for the shows that I do. And, and, you know, my mind is like, it's like a, you ever do those, they look like, like weird little funnels, like big metal funnels and you put a coin and they go round and round and blah, 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 really fast and they yeah, drop down. Yeah. So my mind sort of circles and I, there's a, there's a black pit of hell right in the, right in the middle and right at the bottom of these right. places. And my mind wants to go into that club and my mind wants to see it and my mind wants to visualize, not like I want to, but it's like it gets drawn there because that's real. This is, is what happened reality. to people. Yeah, this is what happened to people. There was a man in combat gear of some kind um, in, in with, with bullets and I assume knives and there was a man striding from room to room and gunning people down and pausing and apparently he checked on Facebook to see if the shooting was trending. That's and it's uh, I, I get I get pulled into this like like a horror movie I don't want to see, but I feel like you know like my eyes are propped open and the you know it's 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 a hard week. You know, yeah. obviously, would say yeah, it was a hard week. It was a hard week. It was a harder week for everyone who's the victim. But you know, this British woman who got oh, shot yeah. and, and stabbed in the street, and guy took a gun and blew her face off and. And it's then this, this, the, the, yeah, I mean, this is a, um, my mind gets pulled there and, you know, not, I mean, my mind gets, you know, when I did, I remember working on the presentation, Iraq, a decade of hell, where I was talking about the experience of, of Iraq and, and what was going on in that country. And, and I might, you, you have to function in the world. You have to get stuff done. So you can't yeah. spend your life following the dead down the hole. Yes. You you can't throw yourself on the coffin and say, bury me with them. You've got to get stuff done. I mean, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a friend. I've got a show. I mean, you have to get stuff done and you have to learn about things to get stuff done. Right. But I can't help but but feel like a coin just going round and round, blah, 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 round and round and deeper and deeper. And I have to sort of pull myself back out because there's empathy and then there's morbidity. Right. Right. And I, I want to empathize because you're right. That's where the anger comes from. And the anger is what we need not to do things destructive, but to be honest. Yes. To be honest. You know, I mean, two prior FBI investigations. Oh, I said, well, you know, one was dropped because Mateen said, oh, my coworkers are Islamophobic. Florida sheriff reports this killer support for the Fort Jihad mass murderer worried cops. ISIS had warned that they were going to attack in Florida. Omar Mateen cheered 9-11, pledged allegiance to the Islamic State, who was apparently quite religious, beat his wife, traveled to Saudi Arabia two times, was at a barbecue or a cookout, threatened to shoot his classmate because pork, pork touched his meat. Yeah. He studied jihad at an Islamist center run by convicted, a convicted imam who recruited for jihad slaughter. Disney, Disney, did you know Disney reported this bastard and his wife for casing Disney World? 
Um, and suspicious behavior because, see, the FBI, on orders from on high in American government situations, doesn't want to appear Islamophobic. The yeah. Florida, gun shop, Florida gun shop owner, this son of a bitch, comes in, starts asking about body armor that you can't even buy as a civilian, starts basically asking about infinite ammo, whips out a phone, starts talking in Arabic. Guy freaks out, doesn't sell him anything, calls the authorities. And, of course, I'm sure uh, it was just like, oh, yeah, well, that's nice. Next, you know. Well, I mean, they're a little hamstrung. I mean, until a new administration comes in, in my particular perception, until a new administration comes in, my friend, the FBI is largely hamstrung in investigating this stuff. Uh, I mean, they've been so paralyzed. Yeah. You know, that. They've been so paralyzed and so much political correctness that the security system in America has, I think, been largely paralyzed. I, no racial profiling. You can't use the word Sharia or jihad. I mean, you, you, it's, it's crazy. Now, of course, this guy, you know, look, I, I'm sensitive to and I recognize and I, you know, want to say that up front, you know, not all Muslims are like, of course, right? I understand all of that. But Jesus Christ, this guy was not a complete lone nut job, right? Yeah. Like whoever shot this, the, the, the guy who shot the, the British politician, seems like a lone nut job. This guy, he had a family. He had other people he went to the mosque with. He had uh, an extended family, as far as I know. Uh, this guy was not completely isolated. And if there were this many this many people around him and this many clues. Now, maybe they did report. Maybe, maybe a bunch of Muslims said, this guy's really crazy and evil, and they reported him to the FBI, and the FBI still did nothing because of political correctness coming down from the top. Mm -hmm. According to the Daily Mail, this bastard's brother-in-law has refused to answer the question if he knew about the, the attack plan. Won't answer question <sighs> it's uh you know Steph <laughs> what I've been noticing over the past few years is you know it was it political correctness was all centered around um let's get merge rats for the fags you know or let's not it's like the gays the bisexuals whatever, you know, and our uh, ability to get permission from the government to wed was the, you know, the pet cause or the cause celeb, as Alex Jones says, you know, and then I noticed that it started slowly morphing into, well, so now it's, it's, it's LGBTQ plus whatever, uh, plus blacks now plus Hispanics, now plus Muslims. And, um, you know, they're well, all non-white males, right? Exactly. You know, uh, and I, I, you know, like, like something that I've also kind of noticed is like the world has sacred cows, particularly groups or cultures of people. And one of those being the Jews, you know, like everybody's all about protect the Jews and it seems like now every 
every few months there's there's like a new set of Jews to protect, and the old Jews get discarded as being um, you know the most victimized class that needs the most help and the least agency. Well, Jews Jews are fleeing cities in Europe. I know, I know, they are, you know. But now, you know, like the Muslims are are becoming the new the new pet cause, the new pets. Like, you know, those the assholes in Europe who are like, you know, oh yeah, we can handle more migrants. It's like, what are you what are you gonna do? Well, it's 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 whoever will vote for them. Yeah. Exactly. See, the the, the 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 horrifying thing is that the, on the left, they don't they're not very good at debating. Yeah. They don't have a lot of facts and evidence. There's, there's shit on the right too, but we're just right. So they don't have a lot of facts and evidence, so they can't win debates. Right. So because they can't win debates, they have to stuff the deck. They have to they have to import people who are going to vote for them because they can't win debates. Because you know when it, and when an ideology is new. Then it's optimistic. Yes. Oh, we're going to solve the problem of poverty. We're going to end war. We're going to educate everyone. We're going to oh, just give government all this money and power and everything will be great. Right. And then what happens is things turn to shit. Uh-huh. Now, but, but all the people who are invested in the ideology, both emotionally, psychologically, and financially, and to get a reward out of the ideology, all the people dependent on the ideology, this ideology is a giant cash cow. For huge, huge, like tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people in the West, right. all depend right now on this ideology for their daily bread, for their sustenance, for their health care, for the roof over their head, for the food they put into their children's bellies. So this ideology has now moved beyond empirical repudiation. The right. fact that this stuff doesn't work, the fact that it is a complete disaster in general, the fact that not only has poverty not been solved, it's expanded. You've created a permanent underclass and massive national debt. We're worse off now than we were when the poverty program started. Much worse off now. Because the poor have now become dependent on the state to a large degree and the payments of the state are unsustainable. So it's like you got people hooked on a drug and then may not survive that drug running out and the drug for sure is going to run out. The drug of money. So that, that it is. So now, so now, what are they going to do? Well, they can't say "oops," <laughs> right? <laughs> What's the government going to do? Oops, sorry, bit of a mistake there. Um, sorry, kids, that you were born into fifty thousand dollars of debt or whatever the hell it is these days, depending on how you calculate it. Sorry, kids, sorry that your education was so bad. We just, you know, we need the votes of teachers, so we didn't want to fire them because they vote and you don't. Sorry, we're not sure about multiculturalism. Might not be quite as great as we thought it was. And what are they going to do? They can't say oops. At least, I don't even know if they practically can say oops. I mean, try cutting off these welfare payments. See what's going to happen. Cities in flames, I'm guessing. And like that, that could be it for civilization as we know it. Cutting off these, like, you know, it's what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And so now it's not about any reason. It's not about any evidence. It's about keeping it going for the next five minutes. That's all yeah. it's about. It's all it's about. It's like if you're hanging, you, the, the Titanic went down, you're hanging onto a barrel, you're, you're slowly freezing, you're not thinking about your retirement, you're not thinking about what you're going to do next weekend, you're not going to wonder if that nice young lady is going to write you a letter back. You're like, am I going to live for the next three minutes? That's all, like you've got that level of immediacy. And I really believe that this is where the powers that be are. 
what are we going to do for the next five minutes? Oh, man, we've got all these cultures. And if anybody finds anything bad out about these cultures, we won't survive. Like, it's all we got to like, suppress and repress and, and, and control and manage. And like it's all next five minutes, next three minutes, next three seconds. I don't know what it is. Yeah, Immediate like- anxiety management and terror management of terror, the emotion. That's what it's devolved to. It has. Next five minutes. Can we can we get through the next five minutes? Can we can we suppress these people? Doesn't matter about the future. Can we bribe these people? Can we can we attack these people and drive? It's just next five minutes. That's all it is. Yes. Um. And it it just it it just reminds me of the family, just like externalized. You know, my my father was a raging drunk, and to avoid everything in life, particularly himself and his own demons, you know, he would just sit at his CB radio, sucking on his Bacardi, having me make his drinks and fetch his cigarettes from the freezer just so he could basically sit there and avoid just to, you know, get some peace. And I, I just, oh, but yes, I do agree that the government is government's I should say the state is just working so hard to uh, lull people into, I I wouldn't even say a false sense of security, just like a a false sense that the government is the master of reality, you know, that it creates reality, I guess, out of, you know, fiat currency printing presses. They can also print reality. No, no. Well, no, hang on, hang on. I I don't want you to get, I mean, listen, Tony, I respect and honor your grief and I want to get back to this young man in a sec, but there is a huge amount of labor and, and attention and concentration and feverish work being put in to bring reality back to people. Yes. Right. I mean, the, the, the number of people who are out there, you know, some of the been on this show, like Mike Cernovich and, and uh, the, the people who work very hard and a- apparently don't sleep, <laughs> they work very right. hard to to unravel and unpack particular lies or manipulations that are put forward by the media. Right. Right. There are lots of people who are doing this. Milo is heroic. He's amazing. <laughs> as as far as this goes. I mean, um, and uh, all of his uh, notoriety and all of his impact is, is extremely well deserved and well earned. And uh, he is he is heroic in yes. this. And um, so there are a lot of people like we have this capacity to dismantle media lies in real time. Yes. In real time. We don't have to wait for some correction that might come out in a couple of days in a tiny little print, right? We don't have to wait for some of the media narratives um, have taken decades to unravel, right? When, and when the facts come out, nobody cares. Now, it's like the media is building something, is building their Tower of Babel, and people are just pulling it out from under right, as they're building, right? It doesn't have to, you don't have to wait for later. Oh, to keep pushing, keep pushing, right? Oh, water wears away the stone. Eventually the leaning tower of nonsense fell over. In real time, for anybody who's interested, uh, it can be unraveled in real time. Yes. So for instance, this guy who shot up the British politician, he, um, you know, people say, oh, he said this. And uh, people then phone, they go down, they unravel, they, they can report on it in real time, whether what's true. What's going on? 
Mm-hmm. Um, people say, oh, here's this guy showing up in this photo. And other people are saying, nah, you know, this guy shows up in other photos where it's clearly not him. Like, boom, boom, boom. The narrative goes up. And for those in the know, for those interested, for those who have half a brain and a, a shred of concern for civilization as we know it, they are out there doing the work of human deities. Yeah. Unpacking the modern religion of the left. Right. And, you know, in my own you know, individual way, my, um, asking for this phone call is one of the ways to help get that done. Um, you know, just asking that question, how can people who say they love, you know, uh, gay people or bisexuals or whatever also out of the same mouth fart out their emotions saying, but we love Islam too. Like, you know, and that's what I want people to question is this lopsided belief that they have of, yeah, we can love these people and these people who want to kill all these people and every non-believer at the same time. Um, and that's what I see something that, the acromantula of the media is, is doing is calling for, you know, tolerance and love and peace and standing united. And, uh, it's like, um, no, (laughs) it, it, it has to be one or the other. Like it, it can't be, well, if tolerance and love and peace is a virtue, then it's a virtue for everyone. And what do we do with those who don't display it? Exactly. Um, yeah, tolerance of intolerance is it's just cowardice. And it's kind of ignorance, you know? I mean, again, I, I hate to p- take anything positive out of such a brutal situation, but a lot of people are like, whoa, this guy thought that Islam justified aggression against gays? I'm going to go look that up. Right. Ah! Right? And I'm glad that I mean, that's it's happening. it's a way to be educated, but uh, sometimes it's what's necessary. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that that's happening. Um, that, you know, maybe people are beginning to really be like, oh, shit, you know, what fire ants nest are we stepping into that, you know, the keepers over here have been trying to tell this, oh, no, those are that's just a pile of cute penguins. Go on, jump in, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that that's happening. Like, I, I was hearing recently that um, more, more gays and stuff are actually, you know, taking another look at Donald Trump. I'm not a voter. Um, I'm a voluntarist, but, uh, it's like, well, you know, if people are really starting to look at this and question it and find out, wow, you know, what's in it for me, you know, I think that well, if the, uh, if, if, if the Democrats might lose some gays, if the Democrats might lose some Latinos, if the Democrats might lose some blacks, if the Democrats might lose some women, it's not like women are unaware of, of some of the more challenging aspects of multiculturalism in Europe. Right. Well, then they're, they're done as a force. And, and I think that, you know, we've reached peak, peak political correctness, which was being mocked like over 20 years ago. But now I think people are seeing that it's something more to be feared than mocked. Like political correctness is, you know, kind of a silly, goofy bunch of nonsense. But when it has led 
to investigative agencies being paralyzed in the prevention of the largest mass shooting on American soil by a private civilian, well, I think people are getting that political correctness isn't just some goofy joke in academia. It isn't just a bunch of like paranoid, mealy-mouthed collectivists uh, spewing nonsense at each other. That political correctness has spilled out into the very security apparatus that people rely on to not get shot to death. And is paralyzing, just as, you know, the Ferguson effect is paralyzing the cops and hundreds and hundreds of black people are being murdered by this nonsense. And now we can see here that there was, I mean, it was enough evidence. I mean, my God, my God. I mean, this is, this is not, I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, the, a county sheriff reported to G4S this shooter. And he reported him to the FBI, a county sheriff, for threatening a local deputy, stating that he could have Al-Qaeda kill the police officer's family. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, if you're making those kinds of threats, yeah, you might be potentially a little dangerous. My understanding is that threatening to kill people's family is illegal. Agreed. I mean, that, that's not a freedom of speech issue. That's a death threat. This guy also went on, the shooter also went on to, to praise Nidal Hassan, the Fort Hood shooter. Right. And if you've got this guy making death threats against a police officer and his family, how is he out and about? I guess it's not as illegal anymore to, to make death threats as it once was. You know, I mean, well, or, thing, or, you know? <laughs> or not for some uh, right. persuasions of people and their ideologies. You know, if I were to do that as a white woman, it's a pretty good chance, you know, um, I might get into some trouble, but as compared to if it were a white man, I'm sure the trouble I would get into would be lesser. And they would say something like, oh, well, she was just on her period, you know? Um, well, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> because, you know, as a white male, I have all of this massive privilege and I mean, yeah. I can do anything I want and no, there'll be no repercussions because white maleness. Exactly. I mean, people say this stuff with a straight face and I just, it just amazes me. Just amazes Do you know any white men? Have you talked to them honestly? Right. You know, and this poor young man, where is all of his, like, you know, uh, naturally born into the universe into, you know, a pudding pile of white privilege? How did his white privilege help him? You know? And for the other people who were killed there, a lot of them, I understand, were Latinos. Well, where was their Caucasian privilege? <laughs> like, well, yeah. Well, so let, let's let's talk a little bit more. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry to, to bring it up, but that's all right. I, I feel I feel that in this, in our small way, like Tony, you and I can have a conversation that millions of people will listen to, and that I hope will so. do a tiny little bit to make this young man immortal in a little way. So it's always struck me that, you know, you can have the most amazing conversations around. And this is what's to me interesting about this show is that, you know, some of these most amazing conversations that just kind of come and go, you, you sat down and you had a lot of conversations with this young man. You say it was great and, and they're gone, right? Those they conversations are. are gone. 
and they're never going to come back again because he's never going to come back again. So all of these conversations which disturbed the air in a positive way and made you think and made him think and changed who you were as important conversations tend to do, all these conversations, Tony, they're gone. So if you can, if you can, just give me a few things that we can capture back and keep forever in the world from this young man that you talked about? What what were things that he said or that you said or the topics that were important or memorable for you? Let's let's capture him and and make a statue where there's no person. Um, No, there is something really... uh, A few few times when I went into the store uh, last year, um, I was I was very sick. I had to have a blood transfusion, um, and just after that, I came in and uh, I needed some shopping done. And I was like, "Can you can you please walk around with me? Um, I need some help. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm going to collapse." Um, and he, you know, got the cart and helped me get things. And, uh, he, he was ready to act with a lot of kindness. And, you know, one of the conversations that we did have was, you know, we started debating, um, about the state and its relevance. And he listened to arguments for voluntarism and could have gone our way. He, he was willing to think and, and be kind and, and loving. Um, but he, he had a lot of concern for, um, my younger cousin, she has uh, what is called Rett syndrome, and it affects every cell in her body, and it typically only happens in young girls. And one night, I was in there talking with him, and he said, "You know, those little those little babies like that, you know, those those helpless little kids, you know, like." they're just, they're sweet and they're precious. And there's, she said, you know, whenever she comes in, I can tell that even though she can't talk, she's so happy to see me. She looks at me with love. And I, I really appreciated that he picked up on that, her, her subtle cues of eye contact and noises she would make whenever she saw him. Um, It's hard um, to recall a whole lot of, it's more his actions uh, that really stick with me. Um, his vibrancy, his, his happiness, his, his thoughtfulness. Um, and it it could have gone a long way for him and those whom else he would have met throughout his life, you know, 
And that's what hurts is uh, that loving potential just being crushed out. Um, it's just agonizing uh, and it's unfair and if you were to ask him about his murderer what do you think he would say I think what probably everybody wants to know is why? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to all of us here? Like, can't you see that we're human? Can't you tell that we're people? Don't don't you don't you feel anything about what you're doing to me and to these other people? Why do you want to kill us? Why? Why do I need to die? I have so much to do. I have so much I want to do. I have so much to give. And why do you want to take that from me? What makes you think you have the right to do this to me and these other people? Who made you, God? That's just what comes to mind. It it could be, you know, my own uh, inner, you know. No, I think that was, I think that was very well said. Roaring speaking, but I think that's what he would say is just, why do you, why do you, why are you doing this? You know, it's, um, and that's what comes to mind. And, of course, there is a theory, right? I mean, that struck me even the day of the shooting that um, that those who have the greatest rage against gays are those who have tendencies that way themselves, right? I mean, that the, yeah, yeah. That the homosexuals have a freedom to express their homosexuality that this man didn't, uh, even though that, you know, he was using gay dating apps. I don't know if it was to get into community or whether he had those feelings. Uh, I've heard other, you know, some of his, uh, people around him have said, well, I think one person has said that thought he was gay. So it's not, it's not the gay in the club he's shooting. It's the gay in himself. It's and, the gay and, in I mean, himself. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that doesn't help, uh, really. But then the question is, okay, well, it's not, <laughs> It's not hard to to picture what it's like to not be allowed to be gay. It, I mean, it's not hard to picture. I mean, for straight people, it's a very, very simple mental exercise to understand what it's like to not be allowed to be gay. If you're gay, I mean, I believe people are born gay. I mean, I believe right. that this is right. I mean, I mean, there's some evidence for this. I mean, this is just where I plant my flag. I'm willing to move it if if new information comes to light, but. My understanding, it's particular stress during particular periods in the second trimester that, anyway, so it's not that hard to figure out. I'm attracted to women and some men are attracted to men. Right. And if you're not allowed to be gay, if you're straight and you want to know what it's like to not allowed to be gay, if you're gay, just imagine you lived in a society where you were forced to marry a man. Mm-hmm. Live in a society, you were forced to marry a man. Yeah. 
you were um, forced to, in a sense, have sex with a man. And also, wherever you went, wherever you changed, wherever you'd go to the gym, there would be naked women around. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and that's why. And, and then imagine that for you, any uh, sexual attraction to women would be. Could get you killed. Right. And that you had to constantly self-police and you had to pretend to love having sex with men and hate the idea of having sex with women. Mm-hmm. That is a tortuous existence. I agree. Um, and this is 100 million people in the world who are under countries, Islamic countries, where the penalty is... Is death. death. Yeah. It's death. It's non-existent. So you can, you can be killed for... I mean, this is for the straight people. You, you can be killed for showing sexual desire for a woman. Right. And, and you have to go home to some hairy guy and have sex with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, again, it's, if you picture that, like sit, sit on a couch, close your eyes, picture that as your life. Just five minutes. Yeah. That is a brutal existence, sexuality, sexual desire, sexual love, sexual acts are a glorious healthy, natural, beautiful part of human existence. That they are. And if you can imagine being in a society where as a straight man you were forced to marry a man, forced to have sex with a man and could never show any sexual desire for women for fear of death. And you were told that all sexual desires for women come from the devil, (laughs) are evil. The battle that you would have with yourself, the craziness that would make for you. I'm not saying this all comes down to that because I mean, who knows what the hell made this lunatic tick, right? But yeah, that's not an inconsiderable amount of pressure on a human psyche. And this is the thing too. When you have fundamentalist religions, and by that, I mean strict fidelity to ancient texts. When you have a secular worldview, when when people hear voices, they're not coming from somewhere else. Right. right. Religion, of course, takes the natural drama of the human soul and extrapolates it to, you know, crazy good and evil battles for eternity, the universe, everything. Yeah, and some pervert in the sky who's always watching, particularly when you're under your covers, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Phil Collins song. <laughs> Here is my glass and up to the wall. And this, I, like if there's a God out there and you have visions and you have voices and you write what, what now I guess is called schizophrenia or whatever dissociative disorder. But if you have this God out there, then in your mind – and it may be even in the minds of those around you, you may be having contact with something out there. Right? Yeah. Have you ever had this thing? You ever had this thing? This, um, you're younger <laughs> than I yeah. am. But when, when, when cell phones first came out, and, and particularly when earbuds first came out, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> if somebody was walking down the street talking to himself, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, you, you gave that person a little room, a little elbow room, a little 
crazy because you know they're going to start spraying spittle and right. Yeah, so, they might throw so poop in your face when, or something. When uh, when self the earbuds first came out, you know, someone's got long hair, or whatever. They're walking down the street. They're talking to themselves. They maybe they're even gesticulating. Well, if you see the earpiece, you're like, oh, they're not crazy. Why? Because they're talking to someone else. Right. But that's fundamentalism. They could be talking. They could. There's an earpiece. They're not crazy. They're talking to someone. Someone's talking back. Whereas if somebody doesn't have an earpiece and they're doing that, whoa, crazy. Yes. So religion gives that earpiece to people. It does. Damn, that is a great analogy. I just got to tell you, I know I come up with some good analogies. You do. That one, <laughs> I'm particular. That one came from God. I will give that one directly <laughs> to the day. So I've, I've seen um, just the irrational hatred and then also the arrogance of people were telling me, well, oh, okay, well, you're bisexual, but just so you know, I don't go that way. And I'm like, um, what makes you think that I was interested in you like that? Like, bisexual automatically means that I want to chomp on every woman in the universe? No. But, you know, I, I, I have seen this irrational... Um, I think real imagined offense that people have about homosexuality. And I think it more is <laughs> internal, you know, um, things that they're denying in themselves that they feel for the same sex. I, I think, yeah. And I think there is that, but I think there's one other factor as well. Well, maybe two, God. but well, uh, but, but the question is why, right? So if, if you believe that human beings are designed by God to be heterosexual, then clearly gays would be either immoral or would indicate an error in God's design, right? Not that they are. I'm just saying that from that logically would follow, right? Yes. Uh-huh. In other words, if if you, you know, if you design a car to drive in North America, then it has a steering wheel on the left-hand side. If you make a car and sell it in North America with a steering wheel on the right-hand side, you've clearly made a mistake, right? Yeah, unless right? it's so, a mail truck. Right, right. Now, of course, with the endless experimentation of nature, right, and 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 so on, then that's going to produce a huge amount of variety, and this variety is going to be in sexual preferences and gender identification and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's a, nature is a experimenter, and so the the, the presence of uh, homosexuals or, or lesbians, or you know, the other combinations that are possible, they indicate that. It's more evolution than God's plan, if that makes sense. Right. And that's a challenge for religious people. And the other thing, too, is, of course, if people say, well, God made people to be heterosexual, I'm heterosexual, therefore, I'm more down with God. I'm, I'm up one with God, so to speak, right? God likes me because men and women are designed to be heterosexual, and therefore, I am, I, I'm closer to God. In a sense, I'm a better person because, right? And and then they genuinely believe, I think, that uh, some of the people believe, of course, that, that, that homosexuality is some kind of choice. Right. You know, like you've got this fork in the road and you can go one way or you can go the other. Right. And they say, well, I chose the right path. Like, like hell. <laughs> like, like, come on. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I, I remember back to the time when girls were annoying <laughs> because they couldn't run as fast or whatever, right? 
But then, you know, you wake up and it's like, boing, boing. okay, uh, I guess we've switched now. And girls are now fascinating. And that's all I'm going to live for for the rest of my natural born life. And now right. I can't think of anything else. And, right, it's all about, it's all about erection management at this point. You know? yeah. I just, I got to bend it backwards so that I'm not constantly walking around like Tape I'm. Tape it uh, down. Yeah, like I've got some giant nosed dwarf squirming in my pants or something like that. And by the way, ladies, let me just make this particular point. You know, man spreading. Okay, it's fine for women who don't have all that, that stuff down there to talk about man spreading. But dear God, for a man, it's not that easy. You know, I mean, basically imagine having four squirrels uh, hopped up on cocaine in your pants while walking through a nut factory and you've got some idea what it's like to manage this stuff down there. It's not easy. They bend over, they flip over, they get sweaty, they get stuck to things. You, anyway, I just got to point out it's uh, uh, it's not it's not easy. You know, Im imagine uh, – uh, I think I've given you the image. <laughs> well, so, I can, I I can add in on it's that. Not, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, like um – Something that the ladies can understand that I'll add is like, you know, when you flip over on your stomach to go to sleep and you're like, ow, ow, you know, you got to adjust your chesticles there. So yeah. man spreading is, is I think, uh, a too, very valid I thing. The <laughs> mighty man muscles to one side or another. It's like it's like ponting the macho sea. <laughs> but um, so I, I didn't choose to be attracted to women. Nor did I. No, I mean, this is, it, it's, I mean, it wasn't like some virtue yeah. of mine. It was like, whoa, I could go either. I mean, it was, it was just, it's the way it was. And I, I, you know, I don't claim any virtue for that. And, and I have a huge amount of sympathy for people who, through no fault of their own, of course, have a different sexual orientation. It is a challenge. And life is difficult enough with that. I mean, you know, for, for gay guys, I mean, and, and for lesbians, to some degree, at least historically, there was the, okay, well, maybe I don't have kids. Maybe you can be gay and want to have kids. You can be a lesbian and want to have kids. So there's already enough of goddamn challenge for these people. Let's not pile on anyway. I mean, it's it's let's try and make it as easier rather rather than more difficult. And I mean, I said I've known a lot of gay people and a friend of mine spent a long agonizing year coming out and and it's it's a challenge it's it's a challenge let's not make it any tougher but i think for people who believe that human beings are designed rather than evolved homosexuality lesbianism and the other combinations it's a challenge to the model it's a challenge to the model yes uh, and, and and also if you feel as i said if you feel closer and better because you're heterosexual and someone comes along and says no you didn't earn that it takes away some of the vanity that I talked about in the first call. It takes away, I mean, it's a challenge to some of the vanity. Well, what do you mean I'm not better because I'm straight? I didn't earn it. You know, people, if you pin your, your if you pin any significant part of your virtue on something that's unearned, uh, you are, uh, I mean, people are very unstable when they pin their virtues on the unearned. Yeah, I've I've noticed that. Um, I, I know some... Uh some gay people for whom that's their whole identity, you know, like how gay they are and letting everybody know how gay they are. Um, and vegans, some, some I'm concerned Milo's going to head that way. <laughs> Milo. Oh, he's so funny. I'm also concerned that somebody might just out him right. <laughs> against his wishes. Right. Um, but yeah, I notice that, you know, like what you're saying that like, there's a lot of, uh, um, I think false pride in the unearned, you know, like I don't ever recall electing bisexuality. I just remember, you know, thinking back to when I was 
a little girl, like probably fourth or fifth grade, I was like, wow, you know, girls have really pretty hair. I want to touch it. (laughs) But it felt like a little bit more than just. That is the gayest expression of sexual desire I've ever heard in my life. It is the gayest because I said it. No, <laughs> no, no, not because you were for a woman, from a woman. It's just, I just, you know, when I hit puberty, it was like, it was, it was a little bit more caveman-y than, oh, they have lovely hair. I'd like to touch. <laughs> There's a few things about me, Steph. I'm the master gay and I'm also the master patriarch. So. Ah. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. But, um. I'm I'm sensing the danger. I have been, and I, I wonder if it's just uh, from all the brutality that I grew up with in my household that has me primed to always be in the on position looking for external threat. And I'm just, I'm wondering, like, where the fuck is people's, like, early warning detector of death system at, you know? Um, well, this, this shooter's mother was arrested for domestic abuse, assault, if I, if I remember rightly. Why doesn't that surprise me? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like th- this guy, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to even step on the sympathy landmine with this guy, but not the best household to grow up in. yeah. You know, this excuses nothing. Of course not, but I can understand. But as far as dominoes go, uh, as far as dominoes go, uh, not not great. And, you know, I'll also say that um, uh, a lot of Muslims are not fans of these guys either. I think, again, I, I know that you, you've expressed real anger towards Islam and, and, and as an ideology, as a sort of thing separate from individuals, it should be criticizable and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, Friday, today, you know, there's this footage shown up of, of Iraqi civilians. They're like swimming across the Euphrates River near Fallujah just to try and get away from the Islamic State. Right. Right. Like the the reason why the Syrians are in Syria is partly because of the civil war, but also because they just don't want to be around these kinds of fundamentalists. Yeah. These these right. And this is this is you know when when Trump says, "Listen, we we've got to get a handle on our immigration policies from from radical countries." I mean, I, I, I genuinely believe that there are huge numbers of Muslims in the U.S. who are like, yeah, I'm not sure we can say that openly, but I think you'll be quite surprised at how many Muslims will end up voting if, if it's ever tracked. I don't know if it ever will be, but I, 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 I guarantee, I shouldn't say I guarantee, I predict if it could be measured, it would be a surprisingly large number of Muslims who will be very happy to not have a bunch of ISIS people coming in. Because look, ISIS kills a lot of Muslims. It's not like it's they only do. right. So they don't want ISIS coming into America. Yes. Now, can and... they say that openly? Well, I mean, maybe there are some challenges around that, which we don't sort of have to dip into right now. Yeah. But you know, they don't like these guys either. These right. are like the universal guys that are not liked by a lot of people. I was just thinking today that one of my best friends growing up was a Turkish kid, and Turkish family was very nice to me. Uh, and no, of course, it's not an ethnicity. It is an ideology. Again, I view um, 
you know, I, I look at the ideas, not the individuals and being distracted by the individuals is a huge mistake because when it comes, when you can judge the ideology, you can look at it in terms of analytics and logic and, and all of that. And when you start judging individuals, then you're starting to talk about numbers and tendencies and self-reporting. And it's just, it's a quagmire you can't get out of. And, uh, so anyway, Tony, I just wanted to express my incredible sympathies, um, to you. Um, I understand the anger. I really do. And there are productive things that we can do, uh, with this anger, uh, that is, is helpful and positive, you know, as well as for the people, the, 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 the reasonable Muslims who don't want this stuff in their community either. Uh, and, um, I, I really, really uh, sympathize with, with the pain that you're going through. And um, I think uh, the one thing that is a minor comfort to me, it doesn't make up for much, but even just in the way that you talk about him, this young man knew what it was to be loved. And there are a lot of people who go through life without that and have long lives without that. And this young man, although he had a short and tragically cut short life, he did know what it was like to be loved by you and I'm sure by many others. And that doesn't give me a lot of comfort, but I'll tell you, it gives me a little bit. Uh, yeah, it, it does. It it sure does. Because he, he got to feel, you know, love's sweet hand brush across his life. Mm. And he gave it yeah. out. So, but thank you for taking my call. It was actually like really awesome to hear you speaking in real time and to get to interact, you know. <laughs> How was it for you? I mean, you, you, I don't want to scrub you of sadness, but it sounds like you a little uh, feel a little better at the end of the call than at the beginning. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was hearing Mike, uh, reread what I said. And I also, uh, I work at a very busy office, so I really haven't had time to process it. And just hearing him reread that, um, just kind of shook everything loose. I still feel sad, but, um, I, I, I feel better because I have said what I needed to, and I just want to give people a warning, like seriously, please question this ideology uh, that is Islam and also wanting to say we can love that and gay people too. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people, they just go study it, go learn about it, go look it up. Um, don't assume that you know it based upon what the media is saying and uh, find out, you know, find out the good and the bad that's in it. You know, there's a lot of Islamic uh, focus on charity and, and dedication to good works and so on. Just find out the good and the bad uh, and uh, understand that, um, like all things that are religious, good people tend to gravitate towards the positive aspects of the religious belief and bad or crazy people tend to gravitate towards the bad and crazy aspects of the belief. In general, the theory goes that whoever you are, religion will make you more of that. And, um, that is, uh, so it's important to look at, at, uh, the positive ne negative aspects of Islam, what's and all, and recognize that you can't, um, you can't ever control in any sort of state-based way or any government way, you can't control which aspects of any particular ideology people are going to gravitate towards, right? So listen, there are, there are some people, uh, um, there are some people who, who 
learn about communism, like back in the day, maybe there still are some, they learn about communism and they say, wow, you know, worker control of the means of production is really, really important. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to found a factory. I'm going to make a factory. I'm going to grow a factory. And I'm going to involve the workers in every aspect of decision that they want to get involved in. Right now, is that a bad, I don't know if that's positive or negative or whatever, but that's someone who says, wow, you know, uh, I'm going to accept these tenets of communism and I'm going to find a way to to bring more worker control over the means of production, blah, 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 right? And, and I mean, I've got no problem with that. I don't agree with communism. I don't agree with the analysis, but he's not initiating force, right? And in, in the same way, right, some people... Um, We'll look at other belief systems and find positive things in it and find good things to do in it. It tends to do with how their parent did and so on. But here's the challenge. You know, you, if you invite a whole, you know, there are the people who, who, who learn about communism and say, great, you know, let's go take over Russia, kill the Romanovs and start murdering people who disagree with us. Right. And, and the challenge is you don't know where people are going to land on that spectrum. So that is the challenge. So anyway, I'm going to close it off for tonight. Tony, a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Call back in any time. And thank you for the big heart and passion that you're bringing to this. Um, it always strikes me as a little creepy, the degree to which there seems to be a lack of emotionality around this stuff. And your question is, is very powerful and I think is helps awaken people as to how their hearts should be bigger with these issues. So I, I really appreciate the call in. Yeah, thank you, Steph and Mike. Thanks, Tony. And thanks, everyone, so much for listening and for watching. This is Stefan Molyneux signing out with the tiny reminder, freedomainradio.com slash donate, 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 to help us out, to help out the show. We need your support more than ever, I would argue now, so that I can argue with the world and uh, challenge it to better and clearer thinking and better and more virtuous action. Freedomainradio.com slash donate. Follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux. And you can also go, if you've got some shopping to do, fdrurl.com slash Amazon. Just go put it in your default browser tab if you open up your browser in case you've got any shopping to do. You won't need to remember it. Thanks so much. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can do, do it with the uh, podcasts at fdrpodcast.com. Uh, thanks to everyone so much for a great set of calls. We'll talk to you soon.